and welcome to another episode of Cultivate. Our next guest I met through Canopy Boulder. I mentor and she was just in the last class. Please welcome Courtney Wu. Hello, thanks for having me, Jen. Always a pleasure to chat with you. So, and as you mentioned, it was great meeting you at Canopy Boulder and, and being able to get to know you and everything that you've done in the space. I appreciate that. And oh my God, I was telling Christine that, um, you know, I was supposed to be mentoring and I feel like you've mentored me more. <laughs> Everyone knows something different, right? So that's always the fun thing. And I think that was one of the great things about meeting you as well as everyone else at Canopy Boulder was that everyone has their realm of expertise and everybody was a, such a great community member and helping each other out. It was. And that's what I love about the program. You know, everybody is so helpful. It's not me versus you. Even right. when there are com um, competing companies, um, Patrick does a really good job. And so if you're out there and you're starting up a tech company, Canopy Boulder is, is really great. Um, she has an amazing bio, so I'm just going to go ahead and read it so I don't miss any of the good details. <laughs> but she is the CEO and co-founder of Amnesia, the, influencing, the influencer marketing platform designed for cannabis and hemp CBD and powered by AI. She's a marketing powerhouse who led the global pro and celebrity marketing department for Poker Stars. Yes, I did say Poker Stars. Her passion for advertising regulations and celebrity endorsement strategy enabled Poker Stars to become the dominant online poker brand globally. As a longtime advocate of public health and education, she combined her passion for product development and experience with Poker Stars to create her now company called Amnesia. Well, first of all, give us a little bit of a background on yourself and, and poker stars. I, I'm fascinated. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, as one of my co-founders had mentioned that anytime that uh, we have any sort of concerted, contracted period of time together, some of the stories around poker stars come out. So yeah, it was a great time. So my background is pretty varied. And I think that's one of the really interesting things about how I came to cannabis, because it is the combination of all the different things that I've experienced throughout life. So, you know, as perform. I was very much uh, the Asian stereotype for better or for worse or for whatever that means. And I was pre-med my whole life. I was definitely the kid that was 100% pre-med, I think, starting from when I was seven years old. So <laughs> I was on that trajectory. I was on that path. And so when I was in my undergraduate, I studied both um, neurobiology and then also started studying history out of personal interest and ended up doing a, an internship in public health to make myself more competitive to get into medical school. So with all of that being said, I found out that I love public health much more. I love looking at, you know, pretty much exploring how different facets really impact people's access to healthcare. And so after I graduated, I ended up working at Planned Parenthood, trying to figure out if that was what I wanted to pursue. I was also particularly curious about taboo subjects, things that people didn't really like talking about, right? So hence wow. human sexuality and now cannabis. And so ended up working there and decided to move overseas and pursue my master's in that. And unfortunately, when I graduated from my master's in uh, the history of science, medicine, and technology, and focusing on public health and access to healthcare services, no one was spending money on preventative healthcare measures. So oh. I ended up working at Poker Stars, and it led me to leading the pro and celebrity market 
marketing department there. And it was just this really great experience of having both this nonprofit experience as well as having this private sector experience and learning about how those two things could really combine. And after I started working there, I was asked actually by a former colleague of mine to start and become the CMO of a cannabis marketing agency. And so uh, a lot of people from the poker industry actually did move into the cannabis space because they're pretty parallel industries. And so I was there and it was just, it was fantastic. And I was so excited to finally kind of be able to combine those two passions of mine, um, both the public health and the experience I had from poker stars. So uh, how was your family when you said, yeah, I'm not going to med? <laughs> it was definitely, oh, I, you know, it was so funny because it was, it was a series of a lot of interesting conversations, as I'm sure you can imagine, right? It was first like, hey, I've decided I'm not really that interested in medical school, even though I've been on this track since I was seven years old. And then it was like, I, you know, I also really like history. I mean, maybe I'll throw that into the mix and start studying that. And uh, I think when, it, when I positioned it as public health, uh, they were fine with it. They were definitely, you know, as a health educator, they were like, this is great. You're contributing to society. This is wonderful. Maybe you'll still go to medical school. And then as poker stars really started coming into its own in terms of what it meant to my life, I think they they were just very curious about, okay, so now you work in poker and, and cannabis was an interesting conversation with them too. So it's been it's been a fun journey and they've been for the most part shocked, but still supportive. That's amazing. That's, yeah. it's so important, but I, I totally can imagine that. Um, I also can imagine that Poker Stars was uh, male dominated as well. Yes, uh, Poker Stars was very much a male dominated organization. As an industry, it's fairly male dominated, right? We even see that with the people who self select to play poker. And that was one of the really interesting things about being there. I was really fortunate to find my mentor um, for a long time now, and he's actually an advisor to our company now. Um, he is. And it was him that really helped me navigate some of those waters. And it's something that, you know, for better or for worse, I hear a lot of um, from other women who are very career oriented that a lot of times there is, you know, a specific figure within that corporate environment that helps to push their career forward. That's, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. I always wanted a mentor, um, you know, and I had people in and out of my life that would help me but I really didn't have anybody that really helped until I got into this industry. And then it, it, it seems like everybody wanted to help everybody. Um, well, at least in, in certain circles. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, you don't find too many people that really want to take you under their wing. Yeah. Uh, so you were lucky there. So let's talk about how, uh, yeah, let's talk about how you got into cannabis um, and how you started your own company. Yeah. So, I mean, again, it's always a funny journey and a funny ride. And that's one of those things that I really kind of learned is that you can have this journey all mapped out and plan it out, which is something that I'm very much, I think you and I've talked about this a lot, right? Is yeah. that you can have this whole journey mapped out and, and, you know, especially being women from the sciences where we're both, you know, it, again, just, it's a very different trajectory and you may face different things that you weren't anticipating. 
but I would say that, you know, getting into cannabis, again, being invited by former colleagues in the gaming space who had, who were now looking at cannabis because they were already being asked to look at gray market industries and how do you actually market them. When we, when I became the CMO of the agency, it was interesting because I was both the CMO of the agency, but also our clients. And we were building these incredible brands for people, uh, especially as the market was transitioning from medical to recreational. And we were completely comfortable with regulations. We knew that this was just part of the game. It was something that, you know, again, our time at Poker Stars really, you know, got us ready for that. But I just, we were flying influencers actually in because of the, of the fact that it was so difficult to actually disseminate these brands once you built them. And I just kept thinking, wow, this, this is a huge issue. Like we're building these brands and no one has a way to actually get it in front of their target consumer. And it's getting overly expensive if people are having to fly influencers in. It's just overly difficult. And so I envisioned there just had to be a better way. And at that time, I was also brought in to help with product development because a lot of modern CMOs really look at product development as as they look at the market and how to serve it. And so decided to start Amnesia because it just leans into my background in public health in terms of education, as well as my background running celebrity endorsement strategy for poker stars. And I just thought, well, you know, worked in the poker industry. I don't see why it wouldn't work here. For sure. And actually Colorado got um, started or, or took um, gaming uh, applications and regulations and everything. That's where they started uh, in Colorado was from the gaming industry. Makes sense. Right. Exactly. It makes complete sense. And I didn't know that. Thanks for sharing that with me. Oh, yeah. So influencers, just give me a little idea of what they are. And, um, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, it's wasted money. Um, you know, and I know you gave me a statistic about a big a brand outside of cannabis that spends 70% um, of their marketing on influencers. Let's talk about that too. Yeah, I think influencers, you know, people for better or for worse, every people are pretty aware of influencer marketing now as a channel for ad distribution. And I think people have a lot of different feelings about it. But I would say one thing is for sure that if people are spending any amount of time on Instagram, there's going to be a point in which they've interacted with an influencer having represented a product, right? So we always think about it as product placement, but on steroids. And, you know, one of the key things is that influencers are, you know, they run the gamut to kind of approach them as this monolith is is a disservice to both influencers as well as as a marketing channel influencers can be such as yourself actually are thought leaders people who represent certain values within a space and those are key things that are really important to people for people to realize so you know it's really important to push outside of just that ad distribution component think about the influencers who represent certain values and those are one of the key reasons that people you know we always advise people especially if they're starting out a brand to actually engage influencers that are very value centric and oriented because those are the values that you're also applying to your brand at that point. And as you mentioned there, you know, it's table stakes outside of the cannabis space. Influencer marketing for any sort of CPG is now part of the standard marketing suite of tools that someone would use. And so I always find it, and it's particularly necessary in cannabis because there's so many restrictions in how to market that this is one of the only avenues. So I find that there's always that disconnect, but as you mentioned, um, one of the key things is, you know, Estee Lauder, um, oops, sorry. Sorry. We're going to have to redo that one. Okay. Let me just make sure nothing else is going on. All right. Sorry guys. 
So Estee Lauder. Yeah, so Estee Lauder, uh, really interestingly, you know, their CEO came out last year saying that 75% of their digital marketing spend is almost entirely on influencers now. And as he mentioned, he said they're finding them, to, they're proving to be very fruitful for them. And so it really depends on the type of CPG and it also really depends on the, and the product and who they're trying to market to. But, you know, having really good sound influencer marketing strategies is really at the core of what a lot of CPGs are doing outside of the space. So how, how do you track that return on investment? That's a really great question. Something that we get all the time. So, you know, return on investment with influencer marketing really varies. And I think that's one of the key things, again, is that what we see and what we are hearing a lot of from the influencer marketing perspective is just like, why can't I just pick an influencer I find on Instagram? You know, Bob's your uncle, done, easy, no big deal. And, you know, there's so much more that goes into it to really maximize that ROI. Number one is really thinking about where are you in the marketing funnel? I find that in a lot of my conversations, um, people think of influencer marketing and they kind of forget the whole marketing funnel. <laughs> and like, it's just almost considered this separate thing because people look at it as a Hail Mary for their marketing. Um, but the realities are it works in tandem with your other marketing efforts. And you really have to understand about where, where that sits. So number one, you want to figure out your, where you sit in your marketing funnel. If you're a new brand that's just launched ROI, generally is going to be measured in things like how much exposure um, and that's like the reach the impressions that that advertising content has been seen as well as looking at you know how many followers did you increase in your own native social media channels right and that's mainly at that point because same thing with the marketing funnel people aren't aware of you yet and it's more about awareness so that you can drive them further down that marketing funnel to conversion um, the next point uh, if you're looking at being in the middle of the marketing funnel I would say are is really looking at things like email capture you know how can you and you can do that with influencers you can capture email addresses you know if you're a hemp CBD company that allows you to retarget them on certain other platforms there's a lot of great things you can do with that and also you can get ROI through blog content and help boost your SEO efforts as well and then from, you know, then at the real core of it is going to be the ROI when you're talking about sales, right? So that's definitely something that you can attribute with influencers. But again, you've got to be a little bit further down that marketing funnel to start capturing that type of ROI. Yeah, unfortunately, with marketing, it's, it's a long game. I think people yes. want to see immediate results. And like you said, I mean, how many times do you have to see an image to really start thinking about it? Right. Um, how many times do you have to advertise in a magazine? You can't just put in one ad and expect, woo, you know, <laughs> exactly. all this, you know, feedback. So it sounds like influencing is, is, is the same thing. So let's talk about amnesia. Like what is, what, what is that whole picture? What do you do with influencers? Yeah. So one of the key things, I appreciate that. Thank you. And yes, again, it's looking at the whole picture. One of the key things with Amnesia is really the fact that we want to empower cannabis and hemp CBD brands to actually reach their target consumer. And, and you know, kind of going back to my background in public health, ultimately, this is meant to empower the consumer to be able to make educated decisions about what products are going to be best for themselves. And that's why influencers really are so key to that, because they live, when people choose to follow an influencer, 
they're choosing to say, this is the lifestyle that I want to lead, or this is the lifestyle I currently lead. And so you can build that micro-targeted messaging. You can help them see essentially in situ what it would look like to use your product. And so that does really empower the consumer. So at Amnesia, one of the key things that we built into place is, is compliance. And this is one reason we offer the white glove service in addition to running influencer content through our compliance artificial intelligence. And the reason for that is because that's how we empower the brands, right? If a brand or an influencer is going to be really worried about having their account shut down for representing cannabis products or doing it incorrectly or ultimately unsafely to their community, then this is where we have a problem and the culture doesn't change. The dialogues don't change. And it's really about the fact that ultimately we want to empower all every party involved, whether that's the consumer, the influencer, the brand, to really be able to make better decisions about their marketing, about their cannabis use, about how to represent cannabis. And so we help people with compliance and we make sure that essentially any mainstream influencer that's going to bring that content to their audience is going to be able to do so safely. Interesting. So what that tells me is you're going to understand what the advertising rules are in each of the states and the markets. Exactly. That's exactly right. So we, yeah. Yeah, so we understand them. We also understand the platform terms and conditions. Amnesia really looks at regulations from the FDA perspective, FTC, cannabis state advertising regulations, as well as platform terms of service. So a lot to handle. Oh <laughs> Thank you. It's, luckily, we're a team that really likes it. I don't know what that really says about us, but I feel like if you're going to enter the cannabis space, you're going to have to start loving regulations because if you don't, it's probably not the space you want to be in. That is so true. You either have to love regulations, but better, I would hire somebody, you know, that loves to keep up on all of that stuff because, you know, it changes all the time. Exactly. I mean, no wonder people, you know, uh, if you will, break the law because it's so confusing right now. But what's very interesting is, right, the CBD um, companies, I think there's one or two now that are getting sued by the FDA. Yes. Yes. Right? So how do I translate that to you? If I'm an influencer and I'm, let's say I'm influencing for a CBD company that whatever, it's a face cream, right. um, you make sure that that influencer understands that they can't say, you know, whatever claims that, you know, it's going to take your wrinkles away or whatever, <laughs> whatever said, right? I mean, that's probably a bad example, but. No, no, no. That's a great example. That's a perfect example. And that's exactly right, right? So if you are, you know, the FDA, as we know, we've seen that they've come down hard pretty much on companies like Charlotte's Web. And one of the reasons they're doing that is because the testimonials, not even the influencers, not even paid testimonials. It's because the testimonials are making claims like this product helps me sleep, this product, you know, what have you. There are these acute health claims that are being made. And it's things like that where especially mainstream influencers that are not used to working with cannabis and that's one of the key differentiators for amnesia as well is that we predominantly work with mainstream influencers mm -hmm. is that you know they're not going to necessarily know that information so we have to right and so one of the key things is that we make sure they understand that hey if you're going to represent something especially like an ingestible let's say like a supplement 
Yep. And you're going to say that things like, oh, this helps me sleep. I've had the best night of sleep ever. That's when you're really getting in violation of the FDA. And so it's more so, um, you know, one of the reasons, again, we offer that white glove services because we want to also make sure messaging is compliant from start to finish. We don't think of compliance as, hey, influencer, here's this thing. Now send it to us. We really talk to the brand and we sit down and say, okay, let's revise your messaging for influencer marketing and for compliance if necessary. And one of the key things like so rather than saying something like this product really helped me sleep well you can say this is part of my nighttime ritual right and so things like that have that implication of again showing use case showing like you know I feel well rested the next day it's you know language like that that makes it okay but once you start entering the realm of making health claims like sleep that's when you're going to face a lot of problems well, and that's very interesting. I mean, the message. I think that a lot of companies, you know, everybody in your company needs to know the message. Right. Whether you're a bud tender or you're a salesperson, you have to have your message dialed in so everybody's not saying, you know, different things. Now, this is also very important for publicly traded companies. Yes. Where, you know, there are certain things that you can and cannot say according to the SEC. So this is big value for those big, you know, publicly traded companies to have somebody like you managing all of this. And then it's very easy to, to, to pass it on to your employees. Yeah. Exactly. And that's actually something that we've seen a lot. And I appreciate you mentioning that because, you know, we've actually seen a lot of interest from publicly traded companies. Um, our actually our closed beta was with a publicly traded company because again, compliance was such a key focus for them. Right. So, but you know, for us, one of the, the, as you mentioned with the SEC, it's all these regulations really do have an impact and, you know, no one wants to lose their license. You, I mean, we've also talked to companies that haven't used our service and they will spend a lot of money on influencers for let's say a particular activation so it's not even just the ROI in terms of losing your license you know down the line and then that hurting your revenue stream but it's also the ROI the immediate ROI we saw we've heard of companies we've actually been to some of these events that were meant to be covered by influencers that we did not work with and the influencers accounts were shut down their account was shut down so then the overall event coverage was lost and the ROI of all the money they spent because they did not consider compliance were, was essentially out the door. So, you know, it's also about the loss of ROI that can immediately happen just from being shut down. Yeah. And obviously you're shut down. You may be shut down permanently. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, you know, and the longer we get into this, um, you know, I, I think I just read an article or saw a title about um, now, you know, stronger restrictions on CBD or something. I, I barely saw it on LinkedIn today. So it, you're, you're just going to get more and more compliance with CBD um, and you should get ahead of the game. Yes. And it's so competitive. I mean, cannabis is competitive, but CBD and hemp is so competitive because there are no regulations. You yep. don't have to have a background check. So how are you going to separate yourself? You can't just say, oh, we test. Like, you should be testing. You shouldn't be touting that as a benefit to your company. Right, right. And it, I just thought yeah. that Jane Fonda is now a, um, unless it was fake, but it was on LinkedIn, she's representing a CBD brand. 
I, you know, I mean, I don't think that's a bad fit in terms of influencers, right? I think it's really about, I would love to see what brand this is because the fact of the matter is like, you know, if it's targeting a specific audience and that's one of the key things with influencers, right? Is that you want to make sure they're targeting the audience that you're looking for. And that's one of the key things about our software as well is that we make sure that if you are looking for people who are interested, particularly in parasailing, we can identify the influencers that actually speak to that parasailing community. So that's one of the key things that I think is also crucial when people are like, well, I can just pick an influencer out of Instagram. It's like, well, you still want to, again, if you want to maximize ROI, you want to make sure that that influencer is actually speaking to your target consumer. So well, there's a lot of, I, I feel like, I don't know, fraud's the appropriate word, but I think there's a lot of people out there that, you know, claim to be influencers just because maybe they have, you know, a big following, but that doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to give you an ROI. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And again, it really depends on what you're looking for. You know, one influencer that may be great at X may not necessarily be great at Y. And that's why, again, it's really important that, you know, we do really encourage people to really think about influencer marketing as a skill set. It's not just let me pick an influencer. So like some influencers are really fantastic, again, thought leaders. And so they may be great at hosting live events for you that are going to be digital live events because they may be someone who can do education or tutorial series. But then you also have some influencers that are more community oriented and can just more talk to the community, like a peer to peer. And you have some that are fantastic photographers where you get ROI from the fact that you get to reuse their photography on your own native digital channels as well. So ROI and influencers, you really have to take into consideration a lot of different things. You know, what are you looking to achieve? Where are you in that marketing funnel? And, you know, what who is this influencer that you want to work with and what community are you speaking to? Well, and if you don't know any of that, which most people don't, and then there's <laughs> a lot of companies that don't have marketing departments yet. Right. So, yes. okay. So let's say I'm um, uh, a company. Let's say I have a CBD line of products and I call you. How does it, how does it start? Like That's a great question. I love it. So the, the way it starts is essentially if you have a CBD company, you come to us and you let us know, hey, I'm interested in influencer marketing. The first thing that we always want to do is a brand onboarding review and session, which is about an hour long phone call where, you know, either myself or people from my team will be asking specific questions about the brand. You know, this is where we really try to understand the brand's values, their mission, who are they really trying to reach? Um, a lot of times, as you mentioned, some people don't have brand personas or target customers just yet. And it's, again, just like any sort of marketing efforts, you want to understand who you're speaking to, right? Because ultimately, got to create value for that target consumer. So, you know, we really try to understand that information. And from there, we put together a proposal that includes things like, here are the two uh, brand personas we're talking about. What are their likes and interests? What brand affinities do they have? Um, and then what is the campaign strategy that we think is going to be the best way to reach these individuals looking at where you are currently in your brand life cycle and what your values are? And the reason we do all of that is because we want to help people understand this is the strategic approach that we're going to take. And in addition to that, this is what you can expect in terms of cost as well as, you know, this is how you speak to that consumer and the data points that we identify there are actually some of the data points that we use to curate the list of influencers that a brand would work with. Um, we really focus on that curation piece. Again, you know, we realize that people are, you know, 
strap for time, right? Strap for time, strap for resources. If you're looking to work with 10 influencers, you don't want to have to like, you know, filter through, you know, 400 of them. So, and and again, not necessarily knowing knowing what you're looking for. Yeah. Not knowing what you're doing. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous. Exactly. Exactly. And so again, our whole thing is we really want to empower people every step of the way to feel like they know what they're doing, that they're making the right decisions about what strategies they should take, what influencers they should choose. And so we provide all that information. We curate that list. If you're looking to work with 10, 20 influencers, you get, you know, 15, 30 influencers presented to you. Uh, And then we manage everything from start to finish, you know, the deliverables, the campaign strategy, um, all of that is taken care of in-house as well as the compliance piece. And so we make sure everything is run through our compliance AI, and then the brand gets to ultimately decide if they want to move forward with publication. And the influencers off on their merry way. And then everyone is pretty much set up for success. And that's one of the key things that we want to make sure people have healthy relationships with, with the with the brand between the influencer and vice versa and with us. Right. And it's so important. I think um, if we just talk about a startup or whatever, Um, it is difficult because entrepreneurs have a, have a, a higher, bigger picture. And so when the company starts getting bigger, it's very important to hire people that are smarter than you and and kind of stick to your skill set. And, um, marketing is tricky. You know, people think, oh, it's an ad here and it's ad there. No, it's (laughs) very, very tricky and it is essential especially with the competition. Um, Another thing to think about is Amazon. When it becomes legal, you're going to get lost in a big world of Amazon, right? Right. Now, I don't go on and search products on Amazon, right? I, I I know I need something, so maybe I go to that website and then see if it's cheaper on Amazon. It's not like I necessarily use that. But I believe that influencers are going to be a big part of why people, you know, obviously why people buy and that, okay, they'll see an influencer, then they might go to Amazon to buy it. Yeah. And that's, I mean, I think what you're, you're tapping into is pretty right. I think the average consumer who's going onto Amazon isn't necessarily going there for discovery. Right. And to that end, Amazon actually has its own influencer marketing program. So they they actually have their own influencer marketing program where influencers can actually sign up to be part of the Amazon influencer marketing space. And actually, if you go into certain places within Amazon, now you actually have influencers curating content for buyers there. So again, I think that's, and you know, that's one of the questions we actually get a lot of, like can influencers truly, you know, you're marketing the CPGs and that is a lot of our core focus for Amnesia, but can you actually help the retailers as well? And the reality is yes. I mean, again, influencers can run the gamut. They can support native SEO efforts. They can support community development. They can host events. Um, They can drive traffic into retail by hosting events. Another brand that you see doing really well with influencer marketing is Ulta. And one of the key things is they have influencers digitally in within Instagram and YouTube, but then those influencers are actually curating spaces in their physical retail environments. So that means that when that person that follows that influencer, you know, they're not just, it's, it's pretty much a full user journey, right? For that customer. I see the product with the influencer. I go into the store and now I actually, 
actually see, I don't even have to look for those products in the store. I can see exactly where X influencer has curated this list of products. And so there's so many different things. There's things that you can do like white labeling products to, you know, what have you. So I think Again, people think of influencer marketing as just straight product placement. And I think that's a disservice um, to think of it solely as ad distribution or product placement because there's so many opportunities to leverage the, the influences that they have. That's very interesting because a lot of people use brand ambassadors. Yes. So, right. And normally it's a, uh, a younger person because they usually don't pay a lot and um, they love to get out and, and, you know, represent brands. How, um, I guess when you said that um, they, Ulta brings the influencers into the store, I think that is huge for brands and cannabis yes. to actually show up at the dispensary and you can talk to them and they can say, I, I you know, I love this gummy. I, you know, and you actually, like you said, are, are interacting in person. I think that, that that's got to make a huge difference versus a brand ambassador who really probably, you know, I mean, they, they might love the brand. They might not. I think influencers, like you said, you have to manage them to where they love the brand right. or serve no purpose. Yeah. And that's one of the key things too. I think, I mean, as you know, again, being such a thought leader in the space as well and, you know, having that level of influence, it's such a key thing about people want that authenticity. And that's another core reason why we spend so much time with the brand onboarding part of that service that we offer because of the fact that we want to make sure that the influencer that's ultimately representing that product truly likes that product, would truly use that in their actual, you know, day-to-day -day life or what have you. And so we do want to encourage people to have, you know, slightly longer term relationships with their influencers, treat them almost as that hybrid of that brand ambassador approach, right? And, and again, influencers can speak to very specific niches. You know, you have influencers who do like, you know, modern art needlepoint. You have influencers that do, you know, this, they can run the gamut. And, you know, this is one of the, this is one of the really fantastic and powerful things about influencers, right? Is that they can have very specific niche interests and you can tap into that niche interest and you're going to have a rabid community that's engaged and loves it. And again, bringing them into that retail environment, especially for Ulta, they're really looking at makeup enthusiasts, right? So they, again, when they have them in store, not only are they bringing that influencer physically in store for meet and greet activities, but they also are there in terms of they've got their posters in the window, actually front facing out into the parking lots, into essentially the walk-bys. It's essentially that even the influencer curating products is a draw to have people come into the store. Absolutely. And that, that's dispensaries, right? You can have yeah. the ads up on, uh, you know, the wall while you're waiting in a huge line to get your cannabis. Yes. Um, hopefully. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Hopefully not too long, but you know, at least you can be entertained for a little bit while you're there. Now we touched on a little bit of why um, influencing marketing is crucial, but let's talk about um, again, why is that crucial? 
It's just crucial because I think it's really understanding what that relationship with your target consumer looks like, right? If we think about marketing prior to influencers, it was very much a master-slave relationship. You're talking about, you know, I'm the brand, I'm marketing to you. There's not this two-way dialogue. It's a very one-way dialogue. It's pretty much I market to you and I'm pushing you to buy something. Now, when influencer marketing, now with the advent of so many direct-to-consumer brands, with there's so much kind of noise ultimately in the space it's that much more crucial to have meaningful relationships with your customers and what influencers truly do is they democratize that relationship the influencers now are the face of your company publicly they humanize your brand Um, that's why you know again with like we're talking about you know beginning of brand awareness we would want their faces in your native social media channels right they're humanizing your brand they're talking to your consumer as a peer you know these consumers get to ask questions of them like why do you like this product? And so now, again, you're building a much more direct and meaningful relationship. And in cannabis, it's especially key, right? If you think about what does it mean to actually target your consumer in cannabis, you're talking about, okay, well, I've got to, you know, buy a billboard in states where that's allowed, right? Then it's about paying for weed maps. And, you know, maybe there's not so much data that you're getting with it. If you're a hemp CBD company and you're on Amazon, you don't get that data about your customer, right? So all of that is obfuscated with you having that direct relationship with your consumer is lost but what influencers can do is bypass all of those things bypass all those five to ten steps that you need to actually get to your consumer and now you're actually directly speaking to your target consumer and building meaningful relationships with them and there's a lot of data that shows actually you know whether or not you're trying to drive people into a retail environment Uh, If you're doing that, I mean, the data is there that shows, I think, in some places, I don't want to quote these numbers because they do vary a bit, but, you know, up to 75, up to three quarters of audiences will have made decisions in store based on having seen something from an influencer online. and. You also see that there's just a lot of data out there that indicates essentially um, that influencer marketing drives higher lifetime value when you talk about the acquisition of that customer. Well, if you break it down, right, an influencer is a referral. Exactly. Exactly. It's ultimately a referral from someone who, you know, you truly like and know. And, and again, um, influencers are people you can talk to. That's also one reason we like working. And this is one of the misconceptions as well as people, everyone wants to work with the celebrity influencer, the one who's the mega, you know, 20 million followers, but actually it's truly the more, you know, niche influencers, the 10 K to 50 K to upwards to sometimes hundred K follower influencers that get, a lot more traction because their communities are more engaged and they're more close-knit yeah I mean when you're in the sales game when you are able to pick your customers or you know it's referral based I mean that's that's what you want in a business and this isn't exactly a referral you're talking to somebody that's telling you yep this was an amazing product and you know I would suggest it you know to you it's it's I think for people that, um, well, that don't understand marketing at all, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a difficult topic. And I think that that's where your company comes in is to educate and make them understand that this is, you know, here's your expectations, um, you know, and all of those certain steps. Whereas like you said, if I just go on Instagram and I'm like, Oh, well, Sally has, you know, so many influencers. Yeah. my CBD product on Sally and hopes that she gives a shout out. 
which I think is a lot of what's what's happening. Um, <laughs> we do ask that question a lot when we ask people when they they reach out to us. We just ask them, "Have you tried influencer marketing before?" And oftentimes they'll say yes. And I'm like, "Well, what in what capacity?" And they're like, "We've just sent them some free product." I'm like. Right. Well, you know, that's a, you, it's, it's not always the worst approach. If you have the ability and your product from a value perspective, can, you can just keep sending it out like that and hope for the best, but that's not necessarily the most, uh, I guess, ROI efficient way of going about it. hundred percent. And that happens constantly. I yeah. get constant um, messages. Can I send you something? And yeah, I, I'm not interested in things. I'm not interested in. I'm not just going to take your product. And, right. You know, because that's not, eventually that's going to catch up, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And, and again, you know, influencers run the gamut. You've got ones who are great like you that operate in good faith. And that's why your community is also so dialed in. You know, and that's one of the key things to look for with influencers, that engagement piece. And I think when you are an honest advocate, that's when your community's really dialed in and wants to listen to what you have to say. There are influencers, of course, that are out there that will represent any product. And that's not a good influencer to necessarily work with. And, you know, no, it's again, how do you find that? And how do you know that? So yeah. you help you you help them pick the appropriate. Employee. Yes. So. Yeah, and we're very keen on that. You know, we have three hundred thousand mainstream influencers on our platform, which wow. is really fun. But we again, you know, we thought about this is something we were very conscious of very early on, which was, you know, what kind of environment do we want to create in this dual-sided marketplace ostensibly? Is it a healthy environment? And so we really, really think about that. Like if they're, you know, we want to make sure all the influencers we have in our, our platform operate in good faith. Um, you know, we have some who actually specifically ask for, especially representing THC-based products. Like I want to see the lab reports. I want to make sure that what I'm representing to my community is not going to be harmful. And we, we actually had a vape product on, you know, we're working with a client on representing a vape product during VapeGate. Um, but because of the trust that we built, with it, it was, it was an interest. We were like, Oh, great. Um, it was interesting, but again, it's about building trust. The influencers trusted that when we approached them and, and we spent a lot of time garnering their trust because it was not something that we inherently got just by nature of being, you know, that's another key thing is that influencers are getting a lot of inbound and they need to trust you. They need to trust your product. They want to trust you. Um, so trust is such a key part of what we do in terms of making sure again, those relationships are going to be healthy between the parties. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not a vape person. I've never found a vape that I, that I love. And if somebody, I would be the best influencer if somebody actually had a great vape. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you're so honest about it. You're like, Hey, I don't love vaping. So when you do decide if you, if there is ever a product that actually warrants your endorsement of it, you know, people are going to be like, wow, that must be the greatest vape ever because she's been super vocal about not liking them, right? And that was the thing. We were so lucky, you know, that we had the trust and influence. We had almost no attrition during Vapegate, like almost none, which was incredible. But that was because, again, that was us staying with them every step of the way in communication. Like, hey, this is what's going on. We have all the lab reports that show that this product is clean. Like, you don't have to worry about it. Your community is safe. And that's what ultimately, again, a good influencer cares about keeping their community yeah. safe. Yeah. Because it'll damage them if they represent a THC product that, you know, doesn't test or, you know, says a hundred milligrams and it's actually 10 or whatever. Right. I mean, 
professional influencers are not going to want that either because that tarnishes them. And then nobody else is probably going to use them. Um, And that's one of the questions we get to oftentimes, like, do I have to pay them? And (laughs) it depends. I mean, again, it depends. If you're Nike, you probably don't have to pay people very much. Let's, let's be frank, right? Again, let's talk, let's consider that marketing funnel. Where are you? Are you Nike? Well, you probably don't have to pay them. If you're not Nike, your product may be great, but no one knows about it just yet. You're probably going to have to pay people. And so again, it's, it's, and, and again, paying them, people find that it becomes disingenuous, but again, influencers get a lot of inbound. If they were to represent every single product that they, that came to them, their community is also no longer engaged, right? Like they're just like, all you do is just represent products over and over and over again. I don't care. You're just this walking billboard now. And so influencers themselves curate their brand. They spend a lot of time engaging their community. You know, it's all the stuff you're not seeing, right? Where they're in the DMs with their community. They're replying to every single comment that they're getting. That is work. That truly is work. That is a lot of work. I mean, I can barely manage my... Facebook and it's social. It's not work. Um, exactly. So why the name amnesia? <laughs> it's such a good one. Sometimes we lean into the kind of cheesy, you know, we, we play with it a little bit, but it's uh, we lean into like, we make brands unforgettable, um, but well, thank you. Thank you. But we, you know, it was also, it's a, uh, you know, as a colloquial term, at least in the Bay area for being, you know, being high. Right. So that was one fun thing. There's also the amnesia haze strain, which is really fun oh, for us. Love that. Yes, exactly. And so we felt like amnesia would be a great name, just tapping into the culture. And, and I think that's one of the key things too, right? Influencers help build culture. And so, you know, we were tapping into that as well as like, okay, well, we're making brands unforgettable. That is awesome. And I had never asked you and I've, I've been meaning to ask you. <laughs> I, love, I love names. And, you know, one of my posts on LinkedIn was, please no more can no more green no more roots like let's get a little more creative yes uh, um, agree completely right? with that yes yeah. 100% yes google yahoo you know like get a so little many opportunities so yeah. many opportunities from branding and that's again even something that we see right people coming to us and they haven't thought through their brand yet you know and it's like you know, we, we will try to help where we can. And we have a lot of great partners within our network that we can refer over to if you need to get brand messaging right, packaging right, what have you. We've got a lot of great people that we can plug you into uh, to help with that. But if those things aren't there yet, you know, influencer marketing might not be, you know, where you need to be just you're yet. Not, you're not there. Well, God, I've learned so much and I've been fascinated about this topic for a couple of years and of course the jewelry company and I w- I've been reached out to on LinkedIn about, hey, I'm an influencer, you know, so I really uh, appreciate you explaining all of that. And I think like you said, there's a ton of misconceptions and uh, people think that they're paying for, for nothing. And, and in fact, this is where it's headed. And if you're not doing influencer marketing, you're missing the boat. Um, yeah. Is there anything else you want to share with us that I didn't cover? 
Well, uh, you know, we found that the compliance piece was such a big part of the service that we offer and again, empowering people. And because that's one of the key things that we wanted to do, we saw both influencers and brands asking for compliance help on their own social channels. And so we are going to be releasing our compliance engine as a standalone marketing tool, again, to empower everybody to be able to feel like they're safe when they're marketing in social. And and so we are going to be launching that in the next couple months. So we're pretty excited about that too. That is fabulous. And actually, you know, when we met, um, was the compliance part of it or did, you know, questions facilitate that? So it was a little bit both. So compliance has been a part of everything we do from the very beginning. And we just kind of thought as like, this is just a standard part of what we need to do. And then when we went out there, we started realizing people were like, no, we need it. And so it's, it's always been a part, a core part of amnesia because it's always been a necessary requirement to build anything within this space. And now as far as it with the, uh, you know, producing it as its own standalone piece, when we met, it was, it was an idea. We definitely actually, it started, you know, being a key part of our product roadmap, probably about eight or nine months ago. And what we decided was that we just wanted to speed up that process through essentially when we were chatting and everyone that we were speaking to, you know, everyone's like, we need this sooner than later. And we were at that point also getting inbound from again, both brands and influencers, like just asking us to check things for them. You know, can you check this for me? And so, Yeah. And so we've just decided, okay, let's just make that as fast as possible because we're seeing people who really need this and we want to empower everybody to help change the cannabis landscape, culture, conversations, everything. Absolutely. And you can't have a successful brand without compliance. I mean, you're not, you're not going to make it in this space without compliance, period. Exactly. Um, And I know people push back and they take advantage of the gray area, but at the end of the day, you know, I'm all for following the regulations. Same, same, exactly. And, you know, again, if there are regulations that need to be changed, it's, you know, part of, you know, creating cultural movements that have people essentially ask for, as you well know, especially, so. For sure. Well, I so appreciate you taking the time to come on. How can somebody get a hold of you? Yeah, people can email me at Courtney at amnesiamedia.io and I welcome people to do that. And so you can get a hold of me that way or just visit our website at amnesiamedia.io, everything's spelled correctly, or even find us on Instagram and send us a DM. Great. And you can also email me at cultivate at cannabistech.com and I can connect you with Courtney as well. Again, thank you so much for coming on and I'll have to have you on, uh, you know, later this year, early next year to see kind of what's going on uh, with your company and everything. I appreciate that. And thank you so much for having me. I mean, especially considering everything that you've done in this space, I think that's one of the key things that we always, you know, as, as a company, as another female founder in this industry, as well as just everything that you've done, you know, we know how difficult we, all the work that it takes to campaign for can like sensible cannabis regulations, as well as all the work it takes to actually build this industry and community. So I appreciate everything you've done. Always happy to help women. So, thanks again. Thank you so much and have a good rest of your day. Bye.